0: Premier League football returns. Arsenal travel to Stamford Bridge this weekend. Welcome back to the Big Match Preview on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and it's the Big Match Preview. We're back for another look ahead to another Premier League fixture, this time Arsenal's trip to Stamford Bridge. Kai Havertz will be returning to the bridge for the first time since he made that move from West London to North London. He's divided opinion at Arsenal, but can he go back to Stamford Bridge and silence the doubters. Can you go back there and prove a point? We're going to get into all of that on this edition of the show. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, I don't know why the background's so dark. Sorry for those of you that are watching uh, on the video. I've got lights on everything, but it's just so cloudy and miserable outside. I've got blinds open the works. It's just not happening for me in terms of backlight, but um, you can see my face and that's all that matters, right? That's That's why you're here, isn't it? To see uh, my ugly boat as it goes. Um, good afternoon to everybody joining us in the live chat. Uh, also, let me know what you think of the new artwork, uh, the new logo for the podcast. Um, I thought I'd put the international break to some good use. It took me hours and hours and hours to do all of this, all of this stuff, and the only thing I haven't done is updated the logo on our intro video, which I realize I need to do. But last night I, I couldn't physically um, bear you know, sitting in front of the laptop for any longer. So it is (laughs) what it is. Um, Hacker says, lighting isn't terrible, to be honest. It looks terrible to me on the screen, so I do apologise. Let's say a few individual hellos, and then we'll get into this edition of the Big Match Preview. Remember, the Gunners go to Stamford Bridge on Saturday evening. It's the late game, and it should be a cracker. Let's say a big hello to uh, Mario Romano, uh, who joins us. He says... uh, afternoon, mate. I'm finally back from the Caribbean uh, for a live edition. Thanks, mate, for the great pods. Thank you. And I hope you had a great holiday. He's also made a very, very kind donation to the channel. Thank you so much. He says, at the game on Saturday too. Come on, you gunners. We win this 3-1 to close Pochettino's mouth. Uh, we've got Guna, We've got Temi. Uh, we've got Jimmy. We've got Temi who says, Death, taxes, and Harry being late to a stream. That's pretty accurate, to be fair. Uh, big hello to Joshua. We've got Wesbird in the chat as well. Uh, we've got Brian with us. We've got Melanie, Steve, uh, Mr. Ray. Joshua says, I can't keep freeloading anymore, Harry. I uh, hope you see at least £2.50 of this. <laughs> I'm not actually sure how much of the super chat donations YouTube takes these days, to be honest. I should check that out, but thank you. It's very, very much uh, appreciated. Big hello to Abby as well. And of course, uh, to Somtu in the chat box as well. Lots and lots to get into. Thank God we've got actual club football to talk about. I mean, over the past few days, I had great intentions in terms of output, like podcasts, right? I sat there and I thought, okay, you know, I was joined on Tuesday by Clive, which I thought was a brilliant podcast. You know, I don't normally rave about my own podcast, but I really enjoyed that one. And that was down to Clive being excellent, um, more than anything else. But I really, really enjoyed that conversation and that chat. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, um, I do urge you to go and check it out. It is the last one on the feed. Um, and it came to kind of Wednesday and I thought, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to do a pod. Um, and I sort of looked through the news and and there was nothing really there. And I felt like I'd be really scraping the barrel um, if I uh, if I um, sort of started trying to jump on some of those headlines that were doing the rounds. And I thought, do I have a piece of content in my mind that I'm particularly passionate about that I really want to do? And the answer was no. And so I thought, better not force it. Um, so I spent yesterday um, actually trying to fix up the artwork and all the rest of it, which I hope you guys uh, like and appreciate. Let me know any feedback is obviously uh, very very welcome. You guys are the heartbeat of this show after all, and um, and we're here today on Thursday, ready to look ahead to the game. Now, of course, Mikel Arteta hasn't spoken to the media yet ahead of this one at the time of recording, and I understand that he will be doing that uh, tomorrow afternoon. So. If there's anything major to pick up from that, we will do that um, tomorrow evening. Um, But if there isn't, because I don't anticipate Mikel Arteta giving too much away in terms of who's fit, who's not, um, then this will be the only preview that you get. So there you go. Make the most of it. Right. um, Let's turn our attention then to this game coming up at the weekend. And I always feel a little bit nervous after an international break. And, you know, Arsenal finished the last kind of section of games, if you want to call it that, on a high, right? You beat Manchester City for the first time in the league in a really, really long time. You're going to be buzzing. You're going to be pleased. You're going to be delighted with that. And, you know, then the international break comes and you think, well, this is a bit of a shame, isn't it, because of the momentum that we could potentially build off the back of this victory. And the fact that that might be lost, actually, by the fact that we have this break and that our players have to go off on international duty and all the rest of it. But I actually think this time around, it probably came at the right time. You know, we were without Bukayo Saka for the game against Manchester City, which was a blow. And, you know, fingers crossed he'll be back in contention for the weekend, although I've heard nothing that says he definitely is. So I'm not getting overexcited or too carried away with that one. Leandro Trossard had to pull out the Belgian squad because he sustained a hamstring injury against Manchester City. So that's another player. Um, that we we could be without. William Saliba uh, managed to get a little bit of rest, obviously, having pulled out of the French squad. Um, and you just got the feeling that there were a few players that could really do, actually, with the international break. You know, Martinelli returning back from injury against Manchester City, scoring the winning goal, having that big impact. But we know that he was short of fitness and could have done with a bit of time to build himself back up. Thomas Partey went on international duty with Ghana and played 45 minutes uh, in the first friendly against the USA and then 64, uh, sorry, 45 in the first friendly against Mexico and then 64 minutes in the second friendly um, against the United States. So he is 100 plus minutes better off in terms of what he's got in his legs now, um, having come back from a slightly longer layoff. So, you know, I think actually the international break this time around probably came at the right time. Now, you're not going to catch me sitting here on Saturday night, Sunday morning, if we lose and going, yeah, well, you know, it was a bad time for us to have an international break because I genuinely think there were more reasons for us to look forward to it than against it um, this time around. So, um, yeah, no excuses come Saturday about that. Right. Um, let's turn our attention then specifically to this game, uh, Chelsea versus Arsenal. We're going to share with you a preview here on the Chronicles of Aguna. Of course, it's the big match preview show. Uh, we're also going to talk uh, about the starting 11. And at the end, I'll share a prediction with you guys. And I'd love you guys to get involved uh, in the chat box as well. Um, right. Let's um, let's roll on through this. So the big match preview. Um Here we go. Chelsea versus Arsenal. I'm going to bring up some statistics and we're going to have a look through some of these um, as we uh, get ready for this big game coming up at the weekend. We're going to give you all the information you need to properly uh, digest it, to properly uh, work out and understand uh, exactly where the two teams are at as it stands. Now, if you look at the recent meetings between these two sides, Arsenal have won the last three in the Premier League, two of which we were at Stamford Bridge. And I think, you know, that is quite quite remarkable when you think about how our record against Manchester, Manchester City, against Chelsea, I beg your pardon, looked prior to that point. You know, if you go back to before those last three games, there was a 2-0 defeat for Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium as part of that awful start that we had um, in that campaign where we just missed out on the top four. Uh, we did manage to win on Wednesday, May 12th. Uh, 2022 is that? Yeah, I can't. My eyes are letting me down here. I haven't got my glasses, left them in the house for God's sake. But anyway, Arsenal have won four of the last five Premier League meetings against Chelsea. So this is a side that in recent history, we've got a really, really good record against and that should give us confidence. But this is a really talented side that we're coming up against. This is a side full of top quality players, even if they haven't clicked yet, even if Maurizio Pochettino is still finding his feet at the club. And given it's a London derby and the rivalry that exists between the two clubs, this is not a game that you can take for granted. I've spoken to some friends of mine, Arsenal supporters, who have sort of said Chelsea been dreadful this season. Chelsea are awful. You know, they've picked up a few results against poor sides in recent weeks and all of a sudden everyone's jumping on the Chelsea bandwagon. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. And I disagree with that view and with that opinion. I think whenever a team has got as many talented players as Chelsea do, you need to be wary and you need to be mindful. And also sometimes when it hasn't clicked, you know, that should be even more of a concern because there will come a day where it does And you don't want that to be against you. Now, Arsenal's recent record at Stamford Bridge does give me confidence in that we understand this fixture. We understand the difficulties that come with this fixture. We understand the environment that we're going into. And, you know, we keep talking about this being a relatively young Arsenal team. It's a very experienced Arsenal team now in terms of how many games a lot of those players have played for their age and all the rest of it. And so there comes a point where you've got to stop the excuses you know, and if you want to win the Premier League title, you need to be going away to places like Chelsea, regardless of, um, you know, the potential of it being difficult, at the very least confident that you can go out there and win the game. Whatever you say, this is still a side that are sitting in 11th place. And I think that will even out over the course of the season uh, in terms of them getting better and progressing up the table. But, you know, you look at it and you think, Well, if you're looking at a mid-table side, which is what Chelsea were last season with a few additions this summer, you need to be, um, you need to be winning. You need to be aiming to win at least. Now, if we were to come away with a draw, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And you kind of hope that Manchester City, who faced Brighton, could potentially have a bit of a difficult afternoon again, although Rodri's back, which will fill them with confidence. But, you know, you want to win this game and you should be aiming to win this game. And if you want to keep up with a Manchester City side that you're expecting to get 90 plus points, then you probably have to win this game. But, you know, I'm going to sort of reserve judgment on this at the moment. And I'm kind of going to just say, as long as we go there and play our game, I think we can win. And we're going to have to assess, if we don't, why that was. You know, we could well, as I say, be without Bukayo Saka, which is a big blow. You know, we could be... Without Leandro Trossard, which is another blow, we could be in a position where we're having to use Gabriel Jesus wide again. We could be in a position where, you know, we can see the penalty or, you know, something goes wrong. There's a bad decision, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many circumstances in a game that can affect the outcome of it. So many potential sort of. I don't, what's the word? You know, potential factors that could impact on the outcome of a game that you have to consider. It's impossible to cover every base. But if Arsenal go and play confidently and Arsenal go there with belief and play their game, I would say Arsenal have a 60% chance of winning this. That's a pretty good chance when you think about the fact that you're going away to Stamford Bridge. You're going away to play one of the sides who have probably been the most successful in English football over the last 20 years to 25 years. Variables is the word I was looking for, Junior Gunner. Thank you uh, so, so much. What would I do without you guys? Um, So those are the recent meetings between the two clubs. In terms of the seasons so far, as I mentioned, Arsenal are in second place at the moment um, with a goal difference of 10. Chelsea are down in 11th position with a goal difference of four. Now, everybody that's watched Chelsea this season will know that they do create chances. They do create opportunities. That hasn't been a problem for them. Not at all. The problem for Chelsea has been that they're not converting those chances. I would even argue um, that their defensive record is pretty good. It's not that different to ours. And I think I'm right in saying um, that there's only one, one clean sheet between us. And I am. I can see it on the graphic there between the two sides. So, you know, defensively, I don't think Chelsea have that many problems. I think their problems have come At the other end of the pitch, I think they'll feel confident that eventually that's going to be put right, that they're going to click into gear and all the rest of it. Difficult to know what their lineup is going to be because Maurizio Pochettino has made a lot of changes this season. And I guess that's understandable when he's trying to find his feet. You know, you expect um, Robert Sanchez to be in goal. You know, will Cucureo continue at right back or will Rich James be back in the picture? We understand that he trained yesterday. But whether he'll be ready to start um, remains to be seen. Axel Dizzazzi, another one who um, started the last Premier League game against Burnley, has been a doubt, but did train. Thiago Silva will probably play. Levi Cole will. Is he going to continue at left back? They seem to have started to find a bit of a balance in midfield between Caicedo, Gallagher, and Enzo Fernandez. So I expect that probably to be the midfield three. Um, Cole Palmer's looked good. Uh, will Broya play through the middle? Maybe. Um, You know, there's obviously the option of Nicholas Jackson as well. And he scored uh, last weekend. He he came off, uh, he came on, I beg your pardon, at half time. And then there's the question of what they do on the left-hand side. Now, Mikhailo Mudrik is an option uh, for them. Raheem Sterling has had a generally positive start to the season. So I think, you know, Maurizio Pochettino will keep us guessing just as much as we're hoping to keep him guessing. And there are a lot of players, you know, I've just said that that team. I've just sort of walked my way through it while speaking. And, and you think about how many of those players can hurt us. There's a lot. You know, Raheem Sterling, we know what he can do. Um, you know, you've got Cole Palmer who scored that wonderful goal against us in the community shield. Um, Canterbury Guna says Broya's injured. Maybe I'm not sure, mate. Um, I've seen that he came off at halftime against Burnley. I don't know. If that was down to an injury, you'd assume so, right? You probably wouldn't take your striker off at halftime when, when you're doing okay. But then you think about the midfield, you know, Moises Caicedo, Arsenal fans were desperate to see him join our club not that long ago. Enzo Fernandez, another £100 million midfielder. There is talent there. There really, really is. Um, in terms of the form guide, Arsenal have won four of their last five in the Premier League with that one draw uh, sandwiched in between two games either side. Uh, against spurs that was a really disappointing afternoon but we're still unbeaten and that should give us confidence shouldn't it and we've been pretty good on the road this season as for chelsea's form they've won just two of their last five they've suffered two defeats during that period as well and the one uh, draw came away at bournemouth a nil nil draw uh, that day so you know yes they look like they might have turned the corner and yes there's reason for optimism if you're a chelsea fan in comparison to what they were probably feeling a week or two ago. But let's not forget that those victories came at Fulham, who I don't think are going to be particularly strong this season. You know, they lost Alexander Mitrovic, who was a big part of of the things they did well. Yes, they got a draw at Arsenal, but that was more a draw of Arsenal's own making. If you look at the goals we conceded, for God's sake, um, they were terrible, weren't they? And then, of course, the other victory came against Burnley, who I'm almost certain are going to be relegated. So, yeah, a couple of confidence-building wins for Chelsea in recent weeks, which will help the morale and help the mood in the camp. But are they the type of victories that send out a signal to your opponents that make them fear you, that make them scared, that make them shake, that make them worry? I don't know. You know, I don't know. So if I were Arsenal, you know, you look at our results, you know, yeah, we drew Uh, with Spurs, of course, but we won at Everton, which is not something we've done very often in recent years. Um, You know, we beat Man United in that period. Yeah, we drew with Spurs, but we beat Manchester City and we won really, really convincingly at Bournemouth. So if anyone's going to look at the other one's results and be worried, it would be the other way around. But as Mr. Ray rightly says in the chat, every game in the English Premier League is difficult. And I agree with that. You can't take any opponent for granted. That doesn't mean, though, that you can't, feel a degree of confidence. And I think actually having that confidence and belief helps um, in a lot of ways as well. Right, let's take this on then. I'm going to share with you guys um, the team that I would pick to face um, Chelsea this weekend. And there'd be a couple of surprises in there, um, I think, um, judging by what I expect some of you guys to go with. So I'm going to reveal that team to you and then you can basically tear it apart in the chat. Um, is uh, is what I'd like to see. Uh, remember, this game is a 5.30pm kickoff, and if you're looking for where to watch it in the UK, it is, of course, live on Sky Sports. Right, let's take you through the team I would select then to face Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Goalkeeper, David Raya. Um, you know, I've been very much beating the drama of I feel uncomfortable about this whole Raya thing because I don't think Aaron Ramsdale did anything wrong, and actually, I don't think that... David Raya's performances have been so good that I can see why Arteta wanted to upset the apple cart, if you like. But I listened to Mikel Arteta speak after the Manchester City game and I I was intrigued by what he had to say with regards to the risks that David Raya takes in possession. Clearly, it's something that Mikel Arteta brought him in to do. Clearly, that idea of putting your foot on the ball, luring people in, um, and and even if that means taking a bit of a risk rather than just popping it off aimlessly is something that Mikel Arteta is big on. So I don't expect Mikel Arteta to make the change. But also, you know, as much as I've said, Aaron Ramsdale probably deserves more game time and maybe doesn't deserve to be in the position that he finds himself currently. I don't think you can just change your number one goalkeeper ahead of a game like this. You know, this is not the type of fixture that you want to be playing around and bringing people in that may be out in the cold. And um, yeah, for that reason, I'd stick with David Raya. And I think, you know, I think Clive said it really well, I think, when we spoke about it on the pod the other day. He said, I think people are being polite to Raya, but the love is still with Aaron Ramsdale. And I certainly feel that from the conversations I have and and the sort of experiences that I have being at the games and all the rest of it. But listen, this is Arteta's number one at the moment, David Raya. And I think although the first half against Manchester City was shaky and it was cause for concern and I had my heart in my mouth on multiple occasions, I think for me, you know, you can't change it. Now, this is not the time to change it, right? And I think actually in the second half, we saw the benefit of what Raya was trying to do and you saw the benefit of him um, picking out players, even if it did mean at times he, he was having to sort of, take that extra touch on the ball, just take that little bit too long. And he, he said in an interview since, you know, he said, that's what the managers asked me to do. And he says, you know, if I make a mistake doing it, then I'll take the responsibility for that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's that's the way that Mikel Arteta will go and probably should go based on, on recent evidence. At right back, easy one for me, Ben White. I think he's great at right back. And I think he is one of the players in this Arsenal team that's going to have a tough task on his hand this, uh, this coming Saturday. Because whether it's Sterling, who's quite um, wily and, and really sort of um, clever in his movement and, and tricky and experienced, you know, that's going to pose some challenges. But the other option that he could face is Mikhailo Mudrik, who is rapid. And I think if there's one thing that Ben White has struggled with at right back at times, it's dealing with that type of raw pace. You know, you think about the the games he's had against Marcus Rashford, for example, where he's got the beating of him speed-wise. That's where Ben White maybe just sometimes struggles. Because I think as a defender, he's great. I think he's great in one-on-one duels. I think he's great at reading people's ideas. I think he's great at you know, nipping a toe in right at the right time to sort of pinch the ball from people. I think he's fine with the physical battle. I think he's fine with the aerial duels as well. The one thing is the pace. And he's not slow by any stretch of the imagination. He's not a slouch. And I'm not suggesting that for a second. But Mikhailo Mudrik is particularly rapid. And that could be a problem. If I were Pochettino, I'd play Mudrik at the weekend. Not sure if he will, though. Um, Moving into centre-back, this is easy for me. Saliba and Gabriel love them both think they're both excellent think they've got a great partnership and I want that to continue and at left back for me uh, alexander zinchenko should start because of what he gives us in midfield as well and how important he is to our build up play and our overall game there probably will come a point in this game where you make that change you know the tommy asu for zinchenko change that we see basically every game not sure um that I want to see uh, zinchenko in the types of positions though where we're defending that Tommy Ashley was taking up against Man City, but hey. Um Steve Stone on the Ben White thing says um White has Saliba inside of him. I'm not overly worried. Yeah, that does help, of course. Um, it does. Uh Richie says uh Mudrick or Muddy Rick, as he's called him, scored a belter on international duty. He did, but it was against Malta, to be fair. And MM says, uh Mudrick revenge game, I see it. Well, it's not really revenge, right? Because we wanted the player. We were happy to go out there and put a massive offer on the table to side him. But, you know, we weren't willing to go absolutely crazy. And Chelsea were. And he opted to go there. You know, he could have waited maybe. I don't don't know. I I don't have any ill feeling towards Mikhailo Mudrik. And I don't know why he'd have any to us, to be honest. Um, Apart from that Arsenal fan on social media the other day, did you see it? He took a picture of him and then said North London is red. And Mikhailo Mudrik responded, well, why are you taking a picture of me then? Um, Which I thought was quite funny. But look, I don't have any ill feeling towards him. He shouldn't have any ill feeling towards us. But given the story of... Arsenal and Chelsea both going up for him. Arsenal in the end decided to sign Leandro Trossard, who represented much better value at the time, in my opinion. You know that if he does score, if he does do something, he's going to get, um, you know, all of the spotlight. And that is going to be the narrative and, and the big story, isn't it? I think Zinchenko, correct me if I'm wrong, said in an interview that he told him he will cut his testicles off if he scores against Arsenal or something like that. I I know he was joking, but it was a bit weird. (laughs) Uh, Okay, moving into midfield. If he's fit enough to start, and I suspect he will be, given that he's played over 100 minutes of friendly football uh, for Ghana over the past few days, I want Thomas Partey back in the side. And I want to see Odegaard to his right, and I want to see Rice to his left. That gives you the flexibility, doesn't it? And we'll come on to talk about the midfield specifically in a minute. But as for the rest of the team, I want to see Jesus playing from the right. I want to see Havertz playing through the middle at centre forward. And I want to see Gabriel Martinelli playing from the left-hand side. This is how I would line Arsenal up in this game. Now, there's going to be a few areas that you're going to question me on here, and I want to talk about them. Um, We'll start off by talking about that midfield. This is the midfield of dreams. This is the midfield that I dreamt of seeing week in, week out when the Premier League season started. And unfortunately, for one reason or another, injuries, um, all the rest of it, you know, it it hasn't happened anywhere near as often as we'd like it to happen. But this is the perfect midfield. This is as good a midfield as anything in Europe right now. You know, yes, there are questions over Partey's fitness, and you hope that we can get past that or at least get a sustained um, run out of them. Uh, before anything else kind of goes wrong. But, you know, in parte, you've got someone who not only protects the defence incredibly well, but you've got someone who progresses the ball brilliantly. And he does that better than Declan Rice. I know there are people out there that would swear by Declan Rice and say that everything that Declan Rice does is perfect. And I agree that Declan Rice has been nearly perfect for Arsenal and has been Um, very, very good. And and seemingly, based on the evidence so far, he was worth every penny that we paid for him. But Thomas Partey progresses the ball to a different level. The way he plays it into Odegaard in the half spaces, the way he can pop it off to the wingers nice and early, the way he's always forward thinking, I think, is really, really important to this team. Declan Rice can do both. Um, Declan Rice can, um, you know, he can get up alongside Odegaard and, and the front line, but he also has the mobility to get back and defend, protect Zinchenko when necessary, and tuck in alongside Partey when you want to sit with that double pivot. Maybe when the going gets tough a little bit, and also having Declan Rice on that side and having his mobility, um, on in that kind of area of the pitch, it means that Martinelli can push further up the field, and that's something that Granit Xhaka brought to the equation last season, and it's part of the reason that Martinelli had a great season. So. Um, That's the midfield of dreams. The other controversial decision that I've made, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this, is putting Kai Havertz up front. I think currently he is more effective than Eddie at centre forward. Now, I know that the sample size isn't very big and a lot of people are going to say that I'm doing this based on a community shield match a few minutes here and there in other games and... And I know that people are going to say, well, you know, he provided that assist against Man City and that's got you all gassed over Kai Havertz. Genuinely, I think he gives us something different up top. I really, really do. And I've not been impressed with Eddie Nketiah's performances of late. They haven't been dreadful. And I'm not sitting here saying that he's rubbish and we need to get rid of him and all the rest of it. But I am saying that I think Kai Havertz can have a bigger impact on this game. He's got a point to prove. You know, if you're a manager that's gone out and spent 65 million pounds on this guy, you've had the cojones to go and do that. Have the cojones to start him in a game that he will be so motivated for because of everything that's been said by Chelsea people um, since he left the club and, and during his time at the club as well. If it were me and I backed my decision fully to bring this guy in, then why wouldn't I give him an opportunity at centre forward after he just impacted the game in the way that he did against Man City, I would do it. I would do it. Um, The reason I've put Gabriel Jesus on the right-hand side, aside from him having a really good game against Manchester City, I thought it was brilliant that day. And it's clear to me that he's one of those players that works on one flank far better than he does um, on the other side. Um, You know, I think that Bukayo Saka is unlikely to be fit enough to start without it being a gamble, you know, just the nature of the injury from what we've been hearing, the fact that he didn't just pull out of, um, you know, the Manchester City game, but he pulled out of the England squad as well, not just for, you know, the Australia game, but also for the one that was coming up behind it against Italy on Tuesday as well, suggests to me that there is a problem there. And I don't want us to take an unnecessary gamble with him when we have these options at our disposal. He is so important. And over the course of the season, he's going to be key for Arsenal. So that's why I play Jesus on the right. Now, if Saka available, then I play Jesus through the middle and I put Saka on the right and that's my team. But just based on the noises that we're kind of, or, or, or the lack of noises, I guess, the silence, it feels like Bukayo Saka is very much touch and go. Um, for this one. So we'll have to wait and see um, how that looks. Um, I knew a lot of you would would disagree with this. Junior Gunner says, um, Harry Havertz has one of the worst conversion rates of any number nine in the Premier League. Gabriel Jesus doesn't have a great conversion rate either, which we spoke about on the pod a little while ago. The centre forward role at Arsenal is more than um, just providing goals. It's about facilitating as well. And we spoke about this at length with Clive the other day you got to be a facilitator if you're not a big scorer. And I think Kai Havertz clearly isn't a big scorer, but I think he can be a good facilitator. I think he has the attributes to deliver and to help in that sense. And with the mobility of Jesus and Martinelli, you can bet your bottom dollar that both of them will be getting close to him all of the time. And that's when Kai Havertz will be able to do his best work. Equally, if we have a period where we're pinned back, which will happen at some point against Chelsea at Stanford Bridge, having that option to go longer and having someone who's capable of holding the ball up for two or three seconds, allowing your team to get up the pitch, but also your forwards to get close to him, I think could be key in this fixture. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's why I do it. I know people would disagree And that is absolutely fine. But that is what um, I would go with. Okay, right. Let's take some of your questions. Get involved uh, via the live chat box. I'd love to hear from you all uh, right here on the Chronicles of Aguna. It's our big match preview show. Chelsea versus Arsenal coming up this weekend. We're going to take a really, really short pause. And when we come back, we're going to be focusing on the chat box. So start filling it up. Be back in just a moment. and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the podcast. It's the Chronicles of Aguna. It's the big match preview. Chelsea versus Arsenal coming up on Saturday, 5.30 at Stamford Bridge. Um, Guys, if you haven't done so already, please, please do uh, leave a like on the video. That really, really does help. Um, It it really helps. Like, I I know you're probably sick of me saying it, but genuinely it helps so, so much. Also, if you're brand new to the channel or you're a freeloader that just watches for free, (laughs) then make sure um, that you are. No, let me rephrase that. It's not that you watch for free. It's that you're watching without being subscribed. That's what I meant to say. Apologies. If you're one of those people that watches without being subscribed, shame on you. We are 100 subscribers away from the magic mark, from the 30,000 that we've been desperate to get to for ages here on YouTube. So if you're one of those people, if you're a freeloader who watches without being subscribed for free, then please do um, do that for me. It really, really does help. Anyway, uh, let's dive into the chat box then. What are you guys saying? Here we go. Um, Cesar says, Do you think Arteta would give Chelsea that much respect? That's probably our best available lineup. But I feel like you're giving Chelsea a bit too much respect, to be honest. I don't think Arteta will. I think it is. I think it would be dangerous not to give Chelsea that level of respect. I think it would be naive not to give Chelsea that level of respect. And I think if Arsenal learnt one thing from last season, it should be. That you can't take any game in the Premier League lightly because some of the games we dropped points in towards the back end of the campaign that ultimately cost us the Premier League title were games that we should never have dropped points in. Were games that on paper we were nailed on winners. You know? So that's yeah, that's that's how I see it. I, I think that he would be right to give them respect. I think that they've obviously had a difficult start to the season. Obviously, they're down in 11th place, and obviously that's caused a lot of people to turn their noses up at them. But as I keep saying, and I've reiterated many times during this podcast, you know, you you look at that group and you look at the talent and you just cannot afford, not in this league of all leagues, to take them um, lightly. Somebody... Um, asked as well what I would do if Partey isn't fit enough to start, which is a possibility. And the answer is, I'd play Jorginho in there with Rice, because I think for an away game like this, that's probably the best course of action, rather than playing a Havertz or Vieira in the midfield. That's what I would do. Um, anyway, uh, Junior Gunner says, uh, before I go on to this one from Junior Gunner, Wesbird just sort of building on the point I just made, says, I'm slightly concerned that some Arsenal fans have slightly disregarded Chelsea, which is dangerous to do. Derby games are notoriously difficult and no guarantees. But if we play our best football, we win. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, Junior Gunner says, whilst I feel the defence has been superb, the midfield has struggled to connect with the attack. And due to this, we're mid-table for chances created. Do you expect this to change? So I think this is down to a number of things. I think, as I mentioned earlier on, we we haven't been able to field this midfield that I'm crying out for us to play at the weekend if they're all fit and available of Partey, Rice and Odegaard anywhere near as often enough. And that has made a big difference in terms of that connectivity. And when I highlighted Thomas Partey, one of the things I talked about just then was his ability to break lines and progress the ball. And I think we've missed that because for all his brilliant attributes, Declan Rice does not do that at the same level as Thomas Partey. And I won't have anybody tell me otherwise because those are facts. You look at the statistics, you look at progressive passes, all of that stuff, you will see that nobody does it like Thomas Partey does it. He's fantastic at doing that. So part of the problem has been in the midfield. But equally, our first choice front three, as again, Clive pointed out on the pod the other day, has only played together for 23 minutes this season so it's partly down to the fact that we've been out with a key, we've been without a key midfielder for a lot of the time one that brings that specific skill that you refer to to the table in an abundance and we've been without our first choice front three so what you end up with is a disconnect that is really a problem at both ends so that's how i see that and i don't see it as a massive cause for concern at this moment in time Canterbury Guna says, uh, interestingly, we've never beaten Poch away in the league. I didn't know that. Um, and if that's true, that is uh, that is only supporting the point that I've been making that you can't afford to take this side lightly. Um, right, uh, George Davis says, shaming people. I wasn't trying. I didn't mean that uh, about the watching for free. Watching for free is fine. It's on a free platform. Of course, you can watch it for free. The point I was trying to make was, it because I've said it before, I call freeloaders people that watch but don't subscribe. Even for free. Um, anyway, apologies for any offense caused. Um, MM says, Do you see this game being separated by a goal? As in, do I see it being decided by just the one goal by the odd goal? Yeah, I do, I do. Um, you know, I, I really, really do. I think this is going to be tight, I think it's going to be cagey, I think it's going to be a fascinating tactical battle. And all also, as well, I think Arsenal are more mature now and Part of that maturity is that they don't go crazy, um, you know, leaving themselves exposed when games are finally balanced in the way that they would have done in a couple of years ago, which kind of builds into and feeds into the opinion that this is a game that will be decided by, you know, the odd point, Uh, the odd goal, I should say. Uh, Akiyodi says Kai Havertz is so underrated at Arsenal. He's a big game player and has showed that in the two games that we've won against Manchester City in which he contributed massively. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think he's underrated. I think he's clearly got a skill set that Mikel Arteta values. Um, Not everybody does, clearly. Um, I myself have struggled at times um, to see exactly what it is that he's bringing to the table. But, you know, having studied it a little bit more, I think I can see it now. I think I can understand the value and I appreciate that it's not that blatant and i appreciate that not everybody's got the time to sit down and rummage through statistics and um and you know sort of build up bigger deeper pictures which is which is why i do it for you or you know i know there's people out there that do it way better than me but you know the point i'm trying to make here is that i think if you do take the time to really kind of delve into it and understand some of the logic and some of the thinking then you, you will um You know, you will see it. I also think that maybe Mikel Arteta could do a little bit more here in terms of explaining specifically what it is uh, that he brings to the table. We know that Mikel Arteta is very secretive. We know that he likes to keep his cards close to his chest. I've been told that um, by people who work very, very closely with him, that a lot of the the whole let's keep everyone guessing stuff, it, it comes from him and it's something that he is adamant on, absolutely adamant on. And maybe as a consequence of that, he doesn't want to sit down and outline all of the qualities that Kai Havertz has in his eyes and what exactly his role is. But I think if he just kind of gave us a little bit as fans, I think it would get people off his back. I mean, the the conversation about Raya post the Manchester City game was a great example of of how to do that, right? You know, he, he gave us the top line of what David Raya's role is with the ball at his feet. So the question put to him in the press conference was, you know, what did you make of the crowd getting a little bit nervous um, at the fact that David Raya was taking a long time on the ball? And Mikel Arteta said, look, if you want to criticize someone for that, criticize me, blame me, because I am the one that is instructing him to do that. Because if you keep giving the ball back to Manchester City time and time again, aimlessly, they will punish you, they will hurt you, and you can ill afford to do that. And what happened after that? People walked away with a really, really different opinion and were looking at David Raya's performance now through a totally different lens. So there is value in doing that as a manager, but you need to do it in a way that doesn't give away your specifics. For example, with the David Raya situation, if he said, look, I asked David Raya to take that extra touch to be sure when he was distributing the ball and I asked him, to always, make, to always check if the right winger was available and if he was, that would be the preferred pass. Let's go with that because I thought that their weakness was on the left side or whatever. That would be too much and that would be counterproductive because then you're giving away a part of your game plan. To say that he's expected to distribute the ball effectively gives the fans something that they can read between the lines of but doesn't give anything away with regards to your game plan. So that's where the difficulty comes as a manager, finding that balance. But if you feed people just little bits and pieces like that, then they will understand and they will look at things through a different lens, which I think would help with a player like Kai Havertz, who clearly, um, yeah, who, who clearly in my opinion, could do with that confidence boost. Um, just going back to Cesar's earlier question, he says, by respect, I mean that instead of having Partey in, I felt like Arteta would put in another attacking option instead of a midfielder. I still think Eddie will start, but also have it in midfield. Possibly. I think that's the wrong way to go, though. And I'm still convinced that Mikel Arteta, in his own mind, all along has felt that the best midfield, when everybody else is available, is that of Partey, Rice and Odegaard. So I expect him to pick that midfield. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. And I think it would be disrespectful to put Havertz in that midfield. I really do. Um, If he does it, I pray and I hope that it works, but it's not something that I would be trying. Um, MM, just going back to that point around taking Chelsea lightly, says the underlying numbers for Chelsea are really positive. I don't know why people are taking them lightly. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, Diego says, Harry, do you think we're lacking verticality? In the middle of the pitch, every heat map I've seen uh, shows most of the passes are made at or for the wings. Do you think that is limiting our attack? I think that is something that we're forced to do by the fact that people are so focused on stopping us going down the middle. And, you know, that's what all big teams that like to attack have to deal with. Because what you get is you get, you know, look, defending 101, the, the sort of If there was a textbook on how to defend, the first chapter would be on defend the width of your penalty area and make sure you defend narrow and don't let people through the center of your team. So naturally, particularly at the start of games, when teams are solid and compact and, you know, are only looking for a draw in a lot of cases when they play against us, you're going to face that and you're going to have to use the flanks and you're going to have to use the ball effectively um do i think it's limiting our attack not really because i think that whatever you do you'll find yourself in that situation because that's the first form of defence that sides will use against you it's forced you wide and you have to find alternative solutions to that and i think generally speaking we do it quite well and we do it using the half spaces and the areas around the edge of the penalty area and we like to play with cutbacks and all that type of thing um but yeah i think it's it's an interesting point to highlight for sure um but yeah, I I just think it's it's the nature of the beast that we're facing at the moment in pretty much every game that we play. Uh, Richie says, "What's your take on all the talk um, with regards to XG rather than goals and assist stats?" I just think that's the way you know people analyze football now. I think there's a lot more detail in the analysis, and you know I still am someone that goes by what my eyes tell me more than anything else, but I do like to look at statistics because. Sometimes they can either confirm or rubbish opinions that I have in my own mind. And I think it's helpful to look at the stats. I think it's a great tool that we didn't have in the past and it helps us to analyze football in a far more concise and detailed way. But do I go overboard on them in terms of how I value them? No. Um, XG means you should have scored an opportunity. If your XG is five, but you've only scored one goal. That means, well, you should have scored five goals based on this set of metrics that determine how good or bad an opportunity is and the likelihood of you scoring it. But you didn't score it. So what's the point? You know, equally, there'll be players that, you know, have an XG that is way below what they're actually scoring and people will call them ruthless and efficient. Do you need that statistic to tell you if a striker is a ruthless one? Um, You know, I remember back in the day looking at strikers like Robbie Fowler, for example, lethal. Michael Owen at his peak, lethal. Um, You know, there's so many players that come to mind when I think of, like, lethal forwards, like forwards that the ball drops on them once and and they've scored. You know, I didn't need XG at that point to tell me that, but I do think it's a good tool. That type of thing is great in order to, as I say, either kind of double down on an opinion, use those things to reinforce it. Or if you're not sure about something, go and have a look at some of these statistics because they can help you to, you know, to determine when your mind is running away with itself, basically. Uh, some great questions, as always. Thank you guys uh, so, so much. Right, I am going to share with you um, my prediction for this one. Um, Chelsea, Oh, I the the thing is, do you want my prediction to be one that makes you feel buoyant and happy? Or do you want me to, to give you a prediction with my head? Because I can go with my heart really easy. And my heart says, you know, Chelsea won Arsenal three. But my head says that this could be a tough game. And I think this could be a draw. So my prediction in terms of me trying to be as accurate as I possibly think I can be rather than what I want to happen is a 1-1 one, one draw here. Um, I know that's not going to go down well with everybody, but that's genuinely what I'm feeling and thinking at the moment. Now, perhaps Mikel Arteta's press conference tomorrow will make me feel otherwise. Perhaps he'll announce or reveal something that increases my confidence. But at this moment in time, that is what I feel. 1-1 one, one draw. I'd love it if Kai Havertz was to score. I'd love it if he was to get what proved to be a winning goal and run around shushing the Stanford Bridge crowd. That would be amazing. I saw this whole mad debate online the other day of whether or not they should boo him. What a nonsense. What a nonsense. Uh, But anyway, um, thank you guys uh, so, so much for tuning in. As always, it is so, so appreciated. It really, really is. Don't forget to leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if your brand's spanking you, that really, really does help. And we're edging closer ever more to that 30k mark. I'd love to stop banging on about it, so please just help me get there. Um, Also, if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. Um, We're slacking on Apple Podcast Reviews, so please um, boost that up a little bit. When you think about how many people listen to this in comparison to the reviews, and I've noticed there is a problem because we had an old feed that some of the reviews have been attributing to, which is a bit of a problem. Um, So yeah, um, just yeah, make sure you've left us a review. And if you're listening on Spotify, because I found out the other day that a lot of you uh, listen on Spotify, then please leave us a review on Spotify as well, because you can do that. And that really helps uh, as well. But anyway, I'm going to love you and leave you. Have a great evening, and I will see you very soon with some more content here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.